Welcome to the Channel 17 podcast brought to you by the Productive Leisure Network, online ProductiveLeisureNetwork.com and on Twitter at ProdLeisure. You can also find all Productive Leisure podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher. Search Productive Leisure. I am your host, Will Floyd, and joining me on the other line as always, my father, Tim Floyd. Good to be here as always. And we have like real news and we might not talk about the miners the whole time. It is a bit of the inevitable has happened. Freddie Gonzalez got fired rather than, oh my God, Freddie Gonzalez got fired. But it's it's a big moment, even though that sort of expectation might have changed that. Because... It's big in the sense that it's one more step in moving forward and leaving behind. Um, they've, they've changed the roster overwhelmingly in the last year or two. And yet they have the same manager they've had for years. So it's just one more thing. Although... As we said before, it was going to happen anyway this year. Uh, there was zero chance he was going to be the manager when they go into the new ballpark next April. So it was always a question of when. Uh, the bad start probably forced the front office's hand to do it more quickly than they otherwise meant to. Uh, but when it started out like 10 and 30, um, that's and you had to almost as bad a winning percentage for the second half last year. That kind of record you just can't put up with. So I think they finally just felt like if they needed to do it. And I don't know if anybody's shedding any tears over it. Well that's what I was gonna say, and it's not like anyone that I saw commenting online was like, Oh, that's so terrible. Freddie's done so much. He had kind of burned himself out. Yeah. And it sounds and like on some of the players too. That, that are more excited than they should be. I never thought he was the main source of their problems. Um, I thought I always thought he was kind of a mediocre major league manager. He seemed to be okay in the clubhouse to the extent any of us on the outside can tell about that. His in game decision making was not good, but you know, we feel that way about probably most major league managers. So I never I never thought he was as bad as some people did. On the other hand, those two September collapses they had, that, that alone might have been enough for me. And then the terrible record and just the terrible play on the field this year, it was clearly time to let it go. I, I have no quarrel whatsoever with it. In fact, I'm pretty pleased about it. Yeah, I think Freddie Gonzalez kept the job through this year with the thought that it's probably unfair to pick somebody and say, you're going to have the worst team in baseball, and that's our plan. Oh, as you come yeah, to a new situation. They, they did not want to go with their manager of the future this year and saddle that person with a horrible first-year record. Um Next year's not going to be great. The whole idea is you have a new ballpark, you brought up some of the new people, there'll be growing pains, but at least you're moving forward. But they, they just, it, it was probably a good idea not to have a permanent manager dealing with this year's roster. Man, it's awful. But I also think that the Braves had a reasonable expectation that the team would not be historically awful from a winning percentage perspective and might just be tolerably bad. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty confident the front office was not expecting a 250 winning percentage. And again, they're not going to finish with that. Um, but, you know, winning 10 out of your first 40 games or something close to that in that ballpark. 9 and 28 um, before he was fired. Right. Um, that's, that's just, um, that's, they're not going to be that bad over the rest of the year. I, but 
given this 25-man roster, they're not going to be a whole lot better. They'll be better, but, man, um, nobody was going to win with this team. And what's interesting is the person they named is the interim. Um, A lot of people were were speculating it would be either Eddie Perez or Teddy Perry Pendleton because both of them have potential as being possibly the manager of the Braves in the future. You know, both loyal people that have sort of paid their dues in the organization. They want a chance to manage a big league team. And again, I think for the same reason they didn't want to name their permanent manager at the start of this year. They didn't want to go with, with anybody who even had a chance to be the manager next year, which is why they went with Snicker. Um, talk about a loyal organization guy. Been with the Braves for 40 years. Um, nobody ever expected him to be the manager of the Atlanta Braves at the major league level, and he won't be after this year. But, um, How certain are you of that? Are you absolutely certain that he won't be the manager? No, look at the Phillies. What's the guy's name? <laughs> the current manager. He was named just as an interim last year, and they exceeded expectations, and they decided to go with it. That happens sometimes in major league history. But I don't know. Suppose the Braves play 500 ball the rest of the way this year. Um, which don't you think that's? I mean, that, that's it. Everything goes absolutely perfectly. That's about the best you can hope for. Um, I still don't think they keep Stetcher. Do you? I think that it's possible, but with some very specific qualifications if they play 500 ball or better which as you said highly unlikely if swanson or albius come up or ruiz or any young guys and so you can also throw in malik smith there and play a lot better under snicker right that's a case that they might do it snicker is the key to their young players developing at the major league level but i just don't think they're going to believe that um i mean it's true he He's managed a lot of these guys in the minor leagues. Um, I guess he's never actually managed Swanson, um, but he had Ozzy at AAA this For year. like a week. Ruiz, but, but I, I don't think. I mean, really, it'll, it'll, I'll be shocked beyond measure <laughs> if he's their manager next April. So and is there anybody that you want clearly. to be the manager? Um, that, that, I, don't, I don't know enough about who the possibilities out there are. You know, most managers are pretty much like other managers. That there still aren't that many that seem that different or interesting or creative. The one huge exception is the guy at the Cubs. I mean, they were you know pretty similar to the Braves and then in a deep rebuild and looking pretty lousy just a couple of years ago, but all of a sudden a really great farm system. And they went out and hired who I think most people would think is the most interesting and maybe the best manager in the game, right? Yeah. I mean, Madden overachieved with the Rays. Uh, for many years, um, and you know, give them a chance with a more talented roster to see what happens. And so far, so good. Again, I don't know whether it's the manager that's making that team play as well as they are. They are very talented. Besides, I mean, the thing about Madden is always that he would move people around, and he would, you know, kind of have multi-positional platoons, evoking Earl Weaver, which is never a bad thing in my book. Exactly. That's. I mean, when I say I, I like Madden, he's interesting. It's because he's he's not conventional entirely, um, and yeah, and playing people at, at different positions, using a lot of platoons is reminiscent both of Earl Weaver and also, of course, Casey Stingle with the Yankees. Nobody ever really had a set role. No, on that team. Mickey um, and Yogi, and, and he'd play Mickey at shortstop once a year. <laughs> right, um, and, and you know the, the the conventional wisdom is people need to know their role. 
know, you didn't leave them there. Um, maybe that's right. I don't know enough about the psyche of major league ball players. Um, this is one more Bill James point. You know, he mm-hmm. always said he didn't want to know the inside of the clubhouse back when he used to write the abstracts. He wanted to take the, the, the more distant view, see the forest and not the trees. Um, and from, from the forest standpoint, um, having maximum flexibility on your roster and within a game, things to make a lot more sense than saying, oh, no, certain people have to bat in the same order. Or certain people can only play one position. Closer can only pitch the ninth inning when you're ahead. You know, all that stuff. Um, you know, I, I like questioning conventional wisdom. And not many managers are willing to do that, uh, even if they want to. You know, there may be some that in their heart of hearts know better, but it's just so risky because if you question conventional wisdom and lose, uh, you're out in a hurry. If you do things by the book, and you don't succeed, well, it's, oh, well, at least the manager was doing things right. Yeah. I don't know how much of that's going on um, currently in Major League Ball. There's so many more people in the front office that are a little bit more analytically minded, So, including maybe even in the Braves front office than we used to see. Um, so not quite sure what to make of copy, but it's going to be interesting. His managerial choice, and assuming that it is his choice to make it, yeah, and I, in a way, I would really like it not to be Eddie Perez or Terry Pendleton or Bud Black or really anyone I've heard linked to the job. Yeah. They Do you just, have anybody in mind? Uh, I am trying to find who the coaches for Joe Madden are currently. That's my thinking. Well, um, yeah, people that have learned from him, that makes a lot of sense. And, I would also really love someone who has never been a major league manager. So I guess that would count for Perez and Pendleton. But they're also older than you think for a guy who's never been a major league manager. Oh, right. They are, they are much older than... You know, they're older than Freddie. Right, exactly. Um, the truth is, though, I think there's a lot to be said for somebody who does have managerial experience. It's certain kind of in-game decisions that the manager makes that you'd like somebody to have a fair amount of experience with. But if you've been the bench coach at a major league team for like three years, you don't understand when you do things. probably does come closest to it. I guess you're in on every single decision the manager makes. Or at the very least, you're standing next to him when he makes it. Right. Even if he's not asking you the whole time. By the way, now Terry Pendleton is the bench coach. He'll have some of that in-game decision-making experience over the rest of this year. But see, see how that plays out. Perez, of course, has been a manager um, in Venezuela in the winter. Um, and, you know, in some ways it doesn't matter as much what the level is because what you're talking about is just making decisions about when to pinch it, when to change pitchers, that sort of stuff. Um, on the other hand, the dynamics of a major league clubhouse are probably different than anywhere else. So, you know, how you handle the, the personalities and motivating people. That's the stuff that we just really can't see very well from the outside, right? And and the best evidence is mostly guys talking about, we really like playing for him, he's really great, and people wanting to play for him, which, again, Madden has, and Bobby Cox might have been the master of it. Far and away, I think Bobby Cox is number one in that regard. And again, we don't know the inside, but we know what everybody who ever played for him says, and I'm not sure there's anybody who ever had a bad thing to say about Bobby Cox. People that had 
you know, bad reputations or you know, cancers, other places, they come to Atlanta and they got along and they praised the manager. Um, and I don't know what it was he did behind closed doors, but uh, whatever it was, he certainly seemed to keep the team unified together and motivated. And that's a big part of the job. Um, as I keep saying, that's not something we can measure very well, but I think it's real. And I don't know how the general manager finds that, but I hope they can find something like it. Well, and if you want to also measure some of Bobby Cox's success on sort of an individual player level, the number of people who didn't do anything elsewhere that had a successful season or two in Atlanta is kind of astonishing. Oh, yeah, that's even more so than players giving testimonials about how much they like playing for them. The results speak for themselves. There's so many players that had their best year ever or their career and maybe didn't seem like it was going anywhere, and all of a sudden it was revived under Bobby Cox. I mean, J.D. Drew had his best year ever just for one year in Atlanta. Gary Sheffield was, I mean, he was good for a long time. But Gary Sheffield hit everywhere. He, he always hit. That's I was thinking Charles Thomas. In Atlanta, everybody thought he was, he was a good clubhouse guy. That was the difference. <laughs> I was thinking like Charles Thomas and people who really weren't good or oh, even yeah. major league uh, caliber elsewhere. Like Eli Marrero. There, there are a lot of yeah. people that had, you know, just a good season or season under Bobby Cox that they never duplicated anywhere else. Maybe that's a fluke, but it sure seemed to happen a lot. And there are even more examples among pitchers, right? You yeah. Know, Chris Hammond, what did that guy have <laughs> for the Braves? He was fabulous. Um, he had a 75-mile-an-hour changeup. That's it. <laughs> right. That's all he had. Um, the real question, of course, was Snicker, and if he does have any possibility of being the permanent manager... They have to show something better, and notably better, and so far, two and two. Well, that's true. The, the, the record so far, I said they have to play 500 ball for him to have a chance to be rehired. Well, so far, so good, right? Yeah, on pace. Um, that, that, that's kind of an arbitrary number, and I, I really don't know what to expect going forward. Again, it's hard to imagine they'd even keep up a 500 pace uh, unless the offense gets a lot better. Pitching-wise, you could see it. I mean, these young starters, um, it seemed to pitch really well every every other game or so. Well, um, there, there are two changes that I think really kind of... I wonder if the precipitating, we really can't have Freddie around anymore things were... The front office finally said, Eric Ibar and A.J. Pruszynski cannot play every day. We'd love to have them have value, but that's not a thing now. They're terrible. They aren't major leaguers. And maybe Ibar would have um, featured more if he hadn't choked on a chicken bone at lunch yesterday before. (laughs) Ibar, um, he's actually played better since they removed the chicken bone. Who knows? Maybe that's the key to his season. But... Now, that's interesting that, you know, they had these veteran players that were really playing lousy under Freddie. The front office gave him these these retreads, these guys that were over the hill, but the idea was maybe you can get enough out of these guys that we won't totally embarrass ourselves in this last year before we move. And almost across the board, with the notable exception, I guess, of Gordon Beckham, um, the people they brought in, the veterans to sort of fill the gap this year, did just underperform. They were abysmal. And Ibar led the way. It's hard to imagine somebody being worse than he's been. And maybe you can blame the manager for that. Again, I don't know enough about it, but um, I don't think it's that they were blaming Freddie for playing Ibar. 
I suspect that's the front office as much as anything, saying, give this guy a chance to get some trade value. Uh, but in any event, he was playing so lousy. And the thought was that Freddie clearly couldn't get him to understand any self-interest to play harder than he was, was sort of the Which rumor. Is, again, kind of hard to understand for a guy who's in his walk here. If he's got a chance at one more major league contract, he could make several million more dollars in his life if he only performs halfway decently this year. Um, it's hard to imagine why he would need to be motivated, but again, I don't understand the psyche of major league ball players. So. My best guess is, if you are on a very bad team, it's very hard to get excited and motivated. So even if you're thinking, I've got to try hard, it's it's not the easiest thing. And for a lot of these veterans, it's one thing to be excited about the Braves' future, as you and I can sort of work ourselves up to when we focus on the prospects in the next couple of years. But for all of these guys, this was their last year in Atlanta anyway. Um, and knowing that you're, you're on just a miserable team, that's got to sap you psychologically. I suppose I can understand it, but on the other hand, there are a lot of people that you know have to work hard and go to work every day, um, and you know you just suck it up and do it. Um, and I, I just I, I've never been one to want to say, oh well, you just kick butt, you get major league players to do better. I think it's a lot more complicated than that. So I, I'm just speculating without knowing what I'm talking about. Well, I would also I say that. Being a Major League Baseball player is one of the few jobs where the difference between 95% and 100% is massive. Yeah, maybe so. Um, and especially for a lot of these aging guys, if they don't really stay in shape and really work, because that, that could be part of it. Look, I know, I mean, I'm 60 years old and I, I do a different kind of work, but it, it's a little bit harder to stay on top of things. You, the older you get, you have to, you know, practice a little bit more, uh, concentrate a little bit more. Things don't come as easily, and I'm sure that's true for a major league baseball player in their 30s. Um, maybe, maybe that's part of what was going on. You just, you do need to be motivated to work harder. And it's also deny that, including me. You think, oh well, I can always do what I always did, and it may take somebody to remind you, no, you're not going to be what you were 10 years ago. You're going to have to work harder just to even be a portion of that. But I think it's also in getting back to who you play and what you do. The difference between a replacement level player and a guy who's slightly above replacement level isn't that much. Right. Um, this gets, we're going to reference Bill James a lot on this podcast, and today might set the record that we're going to break. But the idea he had a long time ago was that the shape of major league talent is more of a pyramid that you're looking at the bell curve of the entire population who can play baseball. And so you're seeing only the very narrow end of the top. What that really means functionally is most major leaguers are kind of interchangeable. Yeah. So if you don't have that effort, there should be someone to take your place. There, there, there ought to be. And what the Braves, we've talked about this before, the Braves have the majority of their lineup playing below replacement level so far. So it, yeah, it shouldn't be the hardest to somebody who could do better. And to their credit, they keep shuffling the, the roster mm -hmm. and bringing different people in just to see. And I don't really think Gordon Beckham will hit 345 the whole year because there's no evidence he's ever done it. He's never, dem he's never demonstrated an ability to be a really good major league hitter, even not even really an average major league hitter. Um, on the other hand, small sample size, you know, several months worth, he, he could sustain it for a while. And then if someone needs a third baseman for the home stretch, 
Maybe you can get something back for him. Oh, yeah. If he keeps this up, he's one guy who'll have some trade value in July. No doubt about mm-hmm. it. It's hard to see that anybody else will much. Kelly Johnson did last year a little bit. Um, he could step it up. I don't think Jeff Vancouver has any value to anybody else. Enough to part with a prospect you care about. Um, although, Vancouver, so I, you, you know, I, I have no use for Jeff Vancouver as a major yes. baseball player, and that's been true for at least a decade now. Oh, nine years. It, it was 2007 that really turned you. Okay. Nine years, not ten. Um, actually, I worried about the guy even in 2006. I was as excited as anybody else in 2005 when he came up. It was a great start. But you didn't have to watch the guy for all that long to realize this guy is, um, he's got the least place discipline of any major league hitter I've seen in a long time. And that'll catch up with almost anybody. Uh, and it sure caught up with them pretty quickly. And the difference with Vancouver and a lot of other guys like that, who are naturally talented, is he never seemed to learn. There's a lot of guys that can swing at anything and hit if they come up, and then all of a sudden they realize that doesn't work at the major league level. This guy never realized it. This guy can fail. Well, but also because he never actually had the Vladimir Guerrero, Roberto Clemente, hit it off your shoe tops thing. You know, that's right. Jeff Vancouver could hit a fastball over the plate. Um, what he could not do was hit one you know, off the outside corner below the knees, which Guerrero could, and that's major league pitchers figure that out in a hurry. Mm-hmm. That's all you got to do to get the guy out. But do you know why Jeff Rancor might have trade value? No, I, I'm going to make the argument that he could. Yeah, tell me. Do you know what he's hitting against lefties? What? 326 with a 385 on base and a 478 slugging. Now, that's 46 at bats. A 320-something batting average with a 380-something on base. That's kind of unheard of for Jeff Court. He is taking a few walks, isn't he? He has five walks on the year and 94 plate appearances. They're all against lefties. But five walks in 40s, or 52 plate appearances. So I think... He's actually someone that could have used to it. You know, you can see that. And then the point is, you're going to replace these guys. I mean, Jeff Rancor is way more value if he can get back, you know, the proverbial guy who throws hard at single A. Although, we got that for Julius Chassin, and I didn't really get it. <laughs> Mostly because he was 23. hit the ball out of the park this week. Kelly Johnson hit it out of the park this week. Brady's hit several home runs this week. In fact, the Braves doubled their home run output just since we last talked, just since Monday, right? Yeah, that would be more impressive if they had hit home runs before that. But Well, at least they finally started doing it. And you know, one of the most interesting things of the week, I mean, obviously a new manager has to be... That's by far the most interesting. Of course. (laughs) But all of a sudden, the Braves started hitting some home runs. It's probably entirely a fluke, um, the fact that they were so far behind everybody else in home runs, you know, wasn't going to, that wasn't going to keep up. They were going to start getting a few more. It all happened kind of in one week. And it's not like they hit a huge number, but they hit several in Pittsburgh, not a great hitter's part. They hit three last night in Philadelphia, but you can discount that a little bit. But what, anyway, what I was getting at is apparently Monday in batting practice, several players talked about it. They turned it into sort of a home run derby just to see who could hit the most home runs. Uh, and that's apparently very different than the way batting practice has been under sites where they really concentrate on 
you know, hit the ball the other way and really trying to hit line drives, um, but trying to get a little lift on the ball. It, it's hard for me to believe that one stretch of batting practice where, hey, you know, it might be a good idea to try to hit a home run. Let's see if we can do it. Turned into, you know, multiple home runs over the next few days. Do, do you think that could have had anything to do with it? That all of a sudden they're trying to hit home runs? Yes. And this gets back to, I think, that everyone had tuned out Freddie Gonzalez. Yeah. So that when you don't like the manager and he says, you know, try and hit the ball the other way, do this. You're going, fine, look, I hit the ball the other way. Weekly. Over to right field. Versus, you know, trying to get some loft. And it's also that thing of clearly what they were doing wasn't working. So a change in approach won't harm you. They've been they were bad anyway. Yeah, what's so interesting is, you know, they, they brought in Kevin Feitzer last year, um, because for many people were saying under Frank Wren at least that the team was was way too home run happy. All they cared about was hitting home runs and they led the majors in strikeouts for several years in a row as a result. Um, although they were hitting a fair number of home runs and there's gonna be an entirely different approach. And it's true, they didn't hit near, they didn't strike out nearly as much last year, didn't hit nearly as many home runs. Uh, they also were last in the major leagues and run scored last year. Uh, and this year, they, they were way last in run scored. So if this is a new approach everybody was going with, it wasn't working in terms of the main objective, really the only objective on the offensive side, and that's to score runs. So um, if they're trying something different, more power to them. The one last night, there were two home runs that were hit that would not have been a home run at very many ballparks. I mean, Marquez hits his kind of routine fly ball to left because it's in Philadelphia. It goes over the fence. Um, but we'll take it. Yeah. you got to hit a fly ball at least to have a chance for that, right? <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Yep. If you put it in the air, you're more likely to hit a homer. If you don't put it in the air, you're almost certainly not going to hit a homer. Right. right? Um, I mean, there could be a comedy of errors leading to an inside-the-park home run, but that happens yeah. maybe once every five seasons uh, in all of baseball. Alex Smith hitting two home runs in one game. Yeah, I'm not betting on that going forward. And get walks, which is the key to this for me. And if you show that, well, the home run helps. Yeah. Peterson is like 27 and 
has never been that great. And he can get it in the outfield. Some people were questioning his defense before this year. I heard that a fair amount. But, you know, he's, uh, he's fast, but he doesn't take good roots. But my eyeball test tells me that guy's really good out there. And, man, the, the advanced defensive staff has him right near the top, don't they? Well, I think that's also something you can improve on with dedicated work in the offseason and spring training defensively more than can you run it down yeah he's clearly a very good center fielder I'm hoping Ender Enciarte resembles a real major league hitter yeah. But he's no, never been a great hitter. He'll, he'll be really good out there wherever you put him. But he hasn't really shown that he's going to be a really good major league offensive player. His platoon splits historically have been pretty awful. The guy's never hit left-handed pitching, has he? Um, no. Malik hasn't either this year much, so that remains to be seen on him too. But um, they're very similar players. Whether there's room for both of them in the future, we'll have to see. I like them both. I mean, you can envision how that would work if you have someone other than Nick Markakis in right field. Or you move inner to right and have someone in left who's a little more of a slugger. Markakis is the guy they really want to trade this year, mainly just because they need to open up that spot. I mean, he's, he's a competent major league ball player right now. Uh, you're going to hate to let one go, but it also means he might have some trade value. They don't need to open up that spot for somebody, though. They don't have somebody ready. Everything you said earlier about Jeff Francoeur and the strike zone is also just as true about Adonis Garcia. It, it, it may be even more so in his case, and, and you know, he's, he's over 30 years old himself. Right. I'd love for him to come back up, get two months of hot hitting, and flip him. Garcia might seem more attractive to teams by crushing the ball at AAA than being moderately okay at the major league level. Maybe so. You bring him up to the major leagues and he's bad again. Well, yeah, you, you've destroyed any value he has, so I, I see that. So, I, I feel like this might be the first time that we don't talk that much about the minors, except that I do want to say, clearly the brief for whoever takes over next year is, you will have young guys that you are developing. And that's that is the most important quality in next year's manager. You're going to have a roster of very young people. The, the pitching staff, of course, will be nothing but guys 25 and younger. Julio may be 26 by then, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It'll be a very young pitching staff, but the position players are going to be a whole lot 
lot younger next year because I don't think there's much doubt that Swanson and Albius will be in the starting lineup on opening day next year. I think that's the plan. Um, Rio Ruiz probably too. But if Rio Ruiz is ready, um, he's cooled off an awful lot over the last few weeks at AAA, but season's early. I think they still have pretty high hopes on having that guy up. Um, you've got Malik Smith and NCRT in the outfield. Um, so you, you, you can have a much younger roster next year, much younger starting lineup probably most days, and you want a manager that can get the most out of them, I guess. And, and I'm, again, I don't know enough about who the candidates are or who's good at that sort of thing, but it does seem that there are some managers in Major League history who are much better with young players and there are some managers you don't really want around your young players. You wouldn't want Dusty Baker, for example. Right. Um, he seems to have no respect for young players. He wants nothing but veterans around him. I wouldn't want Dusty team. Baker with my veteran team, but that's a different issue. Well, that's, I'm with you on that, but that's just an example. Uh, you're somebody who's known for working with young players. Of course, Madden is that kind of manager also. Um, I mean, I know he's not available, but that's going back to the point you made. Somebody who's a Madden disciple. Mm-hmm. And I think. Although, you know, you can make mistakes on that. You we can. We talked about history. Let's go back 30 years again. The Braves of the 80s, um, they were, you know, they won the division in 82. They went down to the wire in 83. They were competitive until the last month in 84 and then kind of fell apart after the Lynn Barker trade. Um, finished the distance second in 84. And they fired Joe Torrey after 84, even though they'd had maybe their best three-year run in Braves, Atlanta Braves history. Um, who did they hire? A guy named Eddie Haas, who had been their AAA manager, and they hired him because he had this whole wave of new young players coming along, and he would get the most out of them, was the idea. Well, that was a disaster. The 85 Braves team just was fell off the table. They got even worse. Haas didn't last. Um, the young players never developed. Um, of course, two of the young players went to Cleveland and then developed. Yes. <laughs> that was the We've been over that. Um, and so, um, I mean, it may be that the young Braves, they were counting on back in the early to mid-80s weren't as good as they thought they were. That would be my um, argument. I remember at the time, I remember the time that they said, we're, we need a man who can, can work with young talent. Um I don't know why they thought it was Eddie Haas. I don't remember that he'd ever managed a major league club before, but... That was going to be my point. He had been, and basically since about 1960, being a AAA manager is a completely different beast than being a coach at a major league level, even, because the point is not to win at AAA. The point is to play the guys who need to come up to develop people and... I just think that minor league managing might not be the best training ground anymore. Yeah, that may be. Although, as I say, I like I like the fact that somebody's at least been in charge somewhere for a while yeah. that doesn't need to be all that long. But yeah, dealing with a major league roster probably is a very different experience, and you need somebody who's been at a major league clubhouse and dugout dealing with that. Um, I, I the leverage you got over players. At, at the minor league level as opposed to... Um, Slightly more leverage from the coach. Making, you know, 100 times much per year as you are is very different situation. Uh, I did want to talk about uh, maybe the most notorious or most interesting 
managerial change in Atlanta Braves history, which also happened in the month of May. You know what I'm going towards, right? Which one? Uh, when Ted made himself the manager in 77. Oh. <laughs> Well, no, there was a rule that you couldn't, that managers could not have a financial stake in the team. And I don't remember if this was because actually the Braves had previously in their Boston incarnation had a uh, situation where the owner was the manager, Judge Emil Fuchs, took over because I I forget why. That's what I I think was the deal. Um, But basically what happened in in Boston, he took over in the middle of 1928 when they were not very good because um, he had appointed Rogers Hornsby to manage the rest of the season. And as usually happened with Rogers Hornsby, he didn't want him around. So he traded the best right-handed power hitter of this era and um, took over as his own manager, finished in last place, but mostly sat in a suit and had Johnny Evers run day to day. So that was sort of where it started. No, but there was a rule that also, I don't think it was Connie Mack as much as someone tried to structure a contract that said our manager will get, some compensation and the league shot it down and they had had on the books at that point like 25 years the Uh manager can't have a financial stake for all sorts of reasons so turner knew he was violating these rules he does not fire the manager did you remember this Uh he didn't fire dave bristol he sent dave bristol on a quote-unquote 10-day scouting trip which really meant bristol went to his farm in Andrews, North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. He was, I don't know, scouting livestock. Right. But so Turner at Three River Stadium, I don't know why he didn't plan for a home game. Anyway, facing the Pirates yeah. on May 11th, 1977, Ted Turner managed a major league game, and he lost. But remember, how many games in a row had they lost at that point? Fifteen? Like no, they had lost seventeen by that point. Right. Uh, they actually won the next game. Uh-huh. Um, the no, with uh. He only, he only managed one game, right? Yeah, because they they literally during the game were like Ted, stop it. But yeah, uh, Vern Benson, one of the coaches on staff, became one game in her manager. One, and then they brought back. Uh, Dave Bristol. <laughs> but yeah, the team was 60 and 101. They weren't good. But I want to go over this box score. Well, considering that you don't know his name and neither do I off the top of our heads, I don't think he's seeking that kind of publicity. But here's the lineup that Ted brought out. 
Keep in mind, there were some limitations. Jerry Royster hitting leadoff and playing short. Okay. Rod Gilbreth hitting second, playing second. Yeah. Junior Moore hitting third and playing third. Junior Moore hitting third? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Jeff Burroughs hit cleanup. That makes sense. <laughs> and hit well that year. Uh, Cito yeah. Gaston, who had been a major league hitter but was proving he was no longer one, right. uh, hit in the five hole, playing left field. Tom Pachorek was at first. Okay. Tom Pachorek was a bad hitter for an outfielder, much less a first baseman. Yeah, Tom Pachorek was a, a good guy to be your fourth or fifth outfielder mm-hmm. on our team with the Dodgers when they were good. Yeah. Vic Correll came up next uh, playing catcher. Vic uh, Barry Bunnell was in center field. Yeah, Barry Bunnell, phenom. Everybody thought. Well, apparently, he needed he needed Ted in the dugout. Barry hit three for four that day, so apparently he liked Ted as the manager. And then uh, Necro was on the mound. So that was the developing We Are Family Pirates that they were facing. That was like a stack team. Uh, oh, Dave Parker, Al Oliver, Willie Stargell, Omar the Outmaker before he really started making too many outs. But like, this was a team. Uh, Duffy Dyer caught that game, but yeah, Manny Sanguian was yeah. on the team. I mean, they were facing a real good team. Uh, Phil Garner was at third. Frank Tavares was at short. Um, and John Candelaria was on the mound. And here's the thing. Necro threw eight innings, gave up two runs, struck out five, walked five, gave up a home run because Phil Necro. Um, that's what he did. Um, yeah, that's, that's Phil Necro. Uh, John Candelaria pitched really well until the ninth inning. I'm going to defend Ted Turner as a manager. Here was the top of the ninth. Braves go into it down 2-1. Tom Pachorek hits a fly ball to center field out because he's Tom Pachorek. But Vic Correll gets a single. Turner pinch runs Pat Rocket. Yeah, you'd have to pinch run, yeah. Well, yeah. For Correll. With a guy named Rocket, that makes sense. Right. Bunnell hits a fly ball to center field out. Looks like Candelaria is fine. Daryl Cheney pinch hits for Phil Necro, assuming that was probably the best moment. You know, I'm not sure Daryl Cheney was a better major league hitter than Phil Necro over the course of their long careers, both of them. It would be close. Okay, that's a little unfair to Daryl Cheney, but not much. But Cheney hits a ground rule double. Okay. So now you've got runners at second and third, and he... So Ted has, fence, right? right, and so Ted has, uh, yeah. Ted has Roland Office pinch hit for Jerry Royster in the number one spot. Uh, yeah. Chuck Tanner brings in Goose Gossage, and uh, Roland Office versus Goose Gossage is an unfair matchup. But that's some creative right. managing in a late game situation. Yeah. It made a run. Like I say, for, for the unlucky bounce over the fence, they would have tied it up. Who knows what would have happened? Right. So. Um, I think Ted should have maybe been the manager for longer. They wouldn't have been worse that year. Well, that was probably a closer game than most of the games that year. Yes, it was. And down to the wire. 
Um, but I'm I'm all for unconventional managerial choices. Yeah, and, and let's let's see what happens going forward. I I don't have enough of an impression of Capoella so far. I mean, if it was up to Sherholtz or maybe even Hart, it'd be pretty conventional. But I'm getting the impression that Capoella is making the big decisions, probably even this managerial decision, and he has certainly shown a willingness to um, not to play it safe. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, that's kind of exciting. And Snicker could do well because if you play the matchups right or you, you know, get right a hot streak, your offense could turn out to be uh, something that resembles a real major league offense. Well, and what he's got going for him is uh, Julio is pitching great. Yeah. Matt Whistler is pitching really well. Um, well, because. Julio is now only being caught by Tyler Flowers. Let's be clear. You want to pinpoint yeah, Julio's right. struggles last year? Because A.J. Pruszynski is a yeah. bad defensive catcher. Yeah, that, that seems like it. That's my evidence. There you go. Yeah. Because did he yeah. catch Shelby Miller last year much? Yeah, I did, think so. Or did uh, Shelby go with the personal catcher? I can't remember. I'm not sure they had a set thing. Just a lot of don't remember about last year. Too. Yeah. So the young pitching is, I mean, Matt Whistler. He might be better than Julio. He's got a better whip, although Julio had some bad outings early. And there's more pitching coming. Blair's already been sent down, but he had two excellent starts. He had several excellent starts at AAA. They're growing pains. We talked about that. Fulton Evans has had two and this most recent bad start he didn't pitch that poorly in the first inning it's a matter of command there was also a bad error that led to a run and then two other things that better defenders probably would have gotten that's true yeah so it's not yeah, like where before he gave up four homers And uh, I can't believe we did this, but we didn't really do a deep dive on the miners at all. Guess who? And the other thing I want to say, when we have a larger conversation on the minors, maybe next time we can... I think Mississippi is like the best pitcher's park in the minors. Yeah, it's had that reputation for a long time, and the fact that he's, he's done really well there. So, including getting a couple of home runs there. So, um, got to like everything you see about him. And you know, obvious is coming around. A little bit of adjustment at AAA a few weeks ago, but he had a home run this week. He's had a couple of multi-hit games. His average is creeping up. 
and he's he's fine. He's going to be good too. It's still going to be so interesting when they bring the two of them up, whether they do it at the same time and stagger them, or who's going to play where. But they're worth watching. That will work itself out in the end. Yep, uh, it will. Uh, so we're going to continue to watch Brian Snicker and maybe get more of a sense of what he does uh, in terms of how much he might sacrifice or uh, the intentional walk or other things that annoy us. Right. Yeah. There's a reason Gene Mock never won much, considering his talent. Um, but we're going to watch that. We're going to follow uh, these young pitchers who seem to be doing well. And uh, might actually care more about the major leagues and the minor leagues for a little bit. Yeah. So that's exciting. So that's the goal, ultimately. Uh, so that does it for today on the Channel 17 podcast. As always, you can find us uh, online, ProductiveLeisureNetwork.com, or on Twitter, at ProdLeisure. Also, check us out on iTunes and Stitcher. Download us, subscribe, leave a review, and we will see you next week. <laughs>